And what I need from everybody here is a, just a quick little participation by show of hands. Actually, I should clarify it. This is for only those who were here last week. If you weren't here last week, this doesn't apply to you, okay? So if you were here last week, I want you to raise your hand. If you were here last week, and if you're an ungodly person, raise your hand. Okay, good, good. Look at the person next to you and say you're ungodly. Now, if you were here last week and you don't know what I'm talking about, you really need to re-go listen to the message because it means it didn't stick. If you weren't here, you'll have to go check it out to see what we were talking about. But if you remember, uh, we kicked off our, this new series called Solving Me last week. And we talked about how it's very, very difficult to solve a problem when you don't know what's wrong to begin with. And I kind of kicked off in a, in a goofy sort of way talking about some of my issues. I've had problems, back problems for years and years, and I've tried everything I can to solve them. And just as kind of a reminder, I had, you know, my back massager is just one of the things I do. Um, and so if someone can hold this for me for the rest of the service, it would make it more enjoyable for me. But anyway, so I talked about, I've tried everything I can possibly do, started uh, pursuing uh, Western medicine this week, so called up the doctor and doing the x-rays and the MRIs and all that. I had the blood test. I got the blood test back because some of you are like, man, you're taking a lot of Advil and your kidneys are, are bad. So I got to tell you, after 13 months of 2,400 milligrams a day of Advil, uh, the doctor came back and my kidneys are awesome. So I decided I'm bumping it up. I'm going to double it. <laughs> he said I had the best kidneys in the whole world. No one's kidneys are better than mine. <laughs> but on a serious note, I can't solve the problem. I've tried everything I can to solve it. And we're not talking about our physical bodies. You and I, you've been trying to solve you for a long time, haven't you? And you haven't been able to figure it out. And sometimes your spouse looks at you or your parents look at you or your kid or kids look at you and they're like, man, what's your problem? And why can't you get that figured out? And you know inside in your life there's something wrong and there's stuff that's wrong that you can't solve. And we said the problem may be that you don't know what the problem may be. And so we looked at what the Apostle Paul said. He took some of Jesus' teachings and he talked about it in such a way to bring you and I better insight into what's wrong with us. And this week, he's going to give us a solution that can truly, and I, I really believe this will be life-changing for us, that it can actually finally set us free from that thing that seems to have this grip on us that seems to control our lives. But before Paul tells us the solution, I kind of want to get us all up to speed, especially if you weren't here last week, and talk, remind you of something Paul said we all have in common because it kind of sets the stage. Here's how he described it in Romans chapter 7. In verse 18, he said this, See if you can relate to this. I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep doing. Can you relate to that? You're like, why is it that I keep doing things that destroy the very relationships that are most important to me? Why is it that I keep having a view of myself that's destroying my life? Why do I destroy my finances, my job situation? Why do I destroy my body or my soul? I mean, the list goes on and on. What is this all about? And so Paul gives us an explanation of where this battle comes from. 
And what Paul said was this. He, he said, here was his explanation of this problem that you and I had. He said that, that all of us arrived or came from this first person, Adam. He said there was this first person, his name was Adam. And we talked about that last week, right? We said, here's Adam, and, and we'll get to what's inside. But he said, here's this first person, and he was Adam. And the entire human race, Paul said, is legally in Adam. And so everybody in here is, is, is one of us. We are in Adam. We were born, Paul says, into Adam. He said, therefore, what's true of Adam is true of me. What's true of Adam is true of you. And then what Paul said is he said that Adam sinned, and through that, through that sin, that sin entered into the world. And so he talked about this idea of sin, that Adam sinned, and he said, it's not just a, like a verb that, you know, we, we sin, like regularly we sin by doing something. He said it's like a noun. It's like a disease. It's like a sickness. And so Adam sinned, he said. And you and I are in Adam's. Therefore, he's basically saying it's like you and I have sinned. This disease, this sickness, it's just in us. And it's like we all sinned. Why? Because we are all in Adam. And so that's why you have this internal battle that goes on. You're like, why do I keep doing this? I don't want to do it, but I keep doing it. He's like, well, whether you like it or not, whether you think it's true or not, it is true. You were born into Adam, just like he sinned. It's like it's this power over us. It's like this disease. And if you're honest about it, you may not agree with Paul that it, the thing is sin, but you'll agree there's something in you. And you do the things you don't want to do. It's like it has a grip on you. It has a power over you. Paul's saying it's sin. And he ends this terrible news about himself, about you, about mankind in Romans 7, verse 24. And he says this, man, in light of all this, what a wretched man that I am. Have you ever felt that way? I know I have. When I've wondered and I've looked inside and I've said, man, what is wrong with me? I mean, I would do anything to change. Have you ever felt that way? I'd do anything to change that behavior. I would do anything to change that habit. I would do anything to get rid of this addiction in my life. I would get, do anything. I would do anything to change these decisions I make that I have to regret later. What a wretched man I am. What a wretched woman that I am. And you might, like I would do, ask the question, what can I do about it? What can I do? What can I change? What can I read? What new worldview can I have? What, what, what? But Paul says that it's not about, there's no what that's going to rescue you. It's not about a what. In fact, the Apostle Paul is going to introduce you and I to a solution for the sin that's keep controlling us and keeps having its grip over our life and a power over our life. And Paul says the solution is not a what. The solution is a who. Notice what he says, Romans chapter 7, verse 24. He says, who will rescue me from this body that's subject to death? And he says, verse 25, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the big idea for the next few weeks. He delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. And you might read that and go, yeah, that's nice, Chris. And that's kind of, you know, we're in church and that's kind of a motivational thing. But Paul's about to tell us, man, it's way bigger than that. 
It's way bigger than some sort of thing that, you know, cheerleaders ride on a banner that the football players want, run through to get us motivated. He says it's bigger than that. Paul says a solution is not a what. The solution to our challenge, why we keep doing what we don't want to do, is not discipline. The solution is not having more willpower, though Paul talks about those in the New Testament, and he says those are good. He talks about the fruit of the Spirit, and you know, one of those being able to have self-control and be able to control ourselves. He says those are good, but what he's talking about today, he says it's way bigger than discipline and willpower and self-control. What he's talking about today, he said to the question, why do I do what I don't want to do? And the things that I do, I, I wish I didn't do, and what a wretched person I am. And he says, the answer is a person, Romans 7, 25, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so for the next few minutes and the next couple of weeks, what we want to do is we want to talk about how this who connects with our do. How the who connects with our do. Because if you and I can connect the who to our do or our doing, if we can connect those with the things I do that I don't want to do and the things I want to do I don't do, if we can connect those, we can join Paul. Because Paul said, I've discovered the solution and I have found victory in my life and I've been set free. And that's God's great desire for us that you and I can experience victory and we can overcome and we can be set free rather than continuing each and every day to succumb to that which seems to have its grip or a power over us. Now, I got to tell you, kind of like I mentioned last week, what we're talking about is a little bit complicated. And so, uh, and I'm hoping you'll hang with me. So let me just kind of, as we get ready to dive into this, it gets complicated, but let me summarize it all in one verse that Paul's going to talk about the rest of this morning. And then at the end of the message, I'm going to try to bring it all home with an illustration that I really think is going to kind of help us make sense of everything we're talking about today. So turn to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, that's where we're going to be in a few moments. As you're turning there, he, he summarizes Romans 6 in a sense with what he says in Romans 5.19. And he's saying this. He says in Romans 5.19, just as a single uh, unrighteous act of one man ensures you are born into slave. See, that's what he's saying back in that verse. Just one act. Adam's sin means you and I were born into slave. We're in Adam, okay, because of that single unrighteous act. He went on and said, so that single un one unrighteous act of one man borns us, bores us into sin and slavery. He said in Romans 5, 19, so the single righteous act of one, not, uh, one man frees you from the power of sin. And we're going to talk about that. He says the act of one man, Jesus Christ, his one act, his righteous act, his death on a cross for us, that's going to free us from the power of sin. That's what we're going to talk about, and then we'll illustrate that. So let's dive in a little deeper. Romans 6, it gets deeper. They're complicated verses, but I think they're powerful, and I hope and pray you grab a hold. So Romans chapter 6, you ready? We're starting verse 2. He says, we, he's talking about you and I, Christians, Jesus followers, he said, we are those who have, and what's the word? We have what? We have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? So that's my question to you. If you are in Christ, if you are a Jesus follower and you have died to sin, how is it that you can live in it any longer? Why are you doing that? Why? Why are you doing that? To which you and I say, well, why do I? Well, it's easy. I just do. It takes no effort, right? It takes no discipline, 
I don't wake up every day needing to be reminded, today you need to sin. Anybody need that reminder? No, nobody needs that reminder to sin because it just this, it has this grip over our life and it's just easy to say yes to it. And Paul's saying, I'm not asking you how in that sense, I'm asking you why. Why would those of you who have been freed from sin continue to live in it? Why do you keep doing that? Why do you keep treating that person that way? Why do you keep continue to, to not forgive? Why do you live that way, that lifestyle? Why do you continue to treat your body and your mind and your soul that way? Why would you keep saying yes to a master that no longer has control over you? Unless, Romans chapter 6, verse 3, he says this, or don't you know? And this is important because the reality is, I don't think we all know. And Paul understood that. So he's wanting to let them know, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Now I want you to hang with me for a minute. When you and I see in the Bible the word baptized, we think of water baptism. That would be pretty normal. In fact, over there when we set up the baptistry and people get baptized, we have a few people baptized these last couple weeks. And, and while these verses are a great image and picture of water baptism, Paul's actually letting us know this is way bigger, way deeper, way more theological, way more impactful than just that act of, of physical baptism. And so Paul's letting us know something. So you need to know this word baptize. What does it mean? The word baptize means to immerse in something, to place something into something, to put into something. And so what he's saying is this, he's saying, don't, for those of you who, who are Jesus followers, the way he says it is, don't you know that you who were baptized, and so those who were in Adam, but then you were baptized, you were baptized into Christ. And we start taking each of us who, when we said yes to Jesus as our Lord and Savior in the waters of baptism, we are taken out of Adam and we are placed into Christ. His baptism becomes our baptism. And so all of us, let me just cover all of us here. Um, we are placed into Christ. I'll, I'll, leave, uh, 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 I'll leave Mark out, okay? Mark's still in Adam, right? So we'll leave, we'll leave Mark there. He gets a nine out of 10 on his communion. So I'll, I'll, I'll do that, right? Placed into Christ, which means... What's true of Jesus is true of you. What was true of Adam in you, when he sinned, you sinned, I sinned, it's, whether we like it or not, it's true that we were, we were in sin. He says, now when you're placed into Christ, what's true of Christ is true of you, which means all the benefits and the ramifications of his death are true of you. Now, I want you to listen to what this means. Look what he says. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may what? We too may live a what? A new life. Are you catching it? That all the benefits, all the ramifications of Jesus' death and resurrection have applied to us because we are now in Christ. What is true of Jesus, what's true of him is true of us. And we'll include Mark. It's, it's true of Mark also. He gave his life to Christ. So it's true of us. Now, if you're a Jesus follower, and you've been a Jesus follower for a long time, or you've been going to church for a long time, you're cool with that. 
You get that, you understand it, you've been saying that, you know, you understand that your whole life. Hey, when you, when you become a Christian, you're placed into Christ, and your sins are forgiven, and you go to heaven, right? I mean, that's something we all know, we believe that, we've accepted that. But Paul's like, don't you know, it's bigger than that. I'm talking about something more than just that. He's saying, look back at that verse, verse 4, he says that we too may live a new life. What the people didn't realize, what I don't think we realize sometimes, it's not just about our sins are forgiven and we go to heaven one day. He's saying this applies to this life. We get to live, or the word literally means to walk, in a new life. We get to live today. We get to walk today in a new life. And then he goes on with some of the most powerful and yet complicated verses to, to, and he tries to explain what they mean. Look at verse six. And I think now this is going to resonate. If you've been tracking with me, if you haven't like zoned out or tuned out, I think you'll get this. He says, Romans six, verse six, for we know that our old self, remember our old self when we were in Adam, right? We get that. That was the old self born into Adam kind of legally, so to speak, that our old self was crucified with him. In other words, once you were placed into Christ, your old self, your old sin was crucified because now you're in Christ, right? Watch what he says. So that the body ruled by sin. In Adam, our body was ruled by sin. I do the things I don't want to do. It's like there's this power, this disease over me. The body that was ruled by sin, notice what it says, might be done away with. And he goes on because he's saying that it might be done away with, that we should no longer be, what is the word? We should no longer be slaves to sin. When you were not in Christ and you were in Adam, that sin had the power, the grip over your life. Why can't I do what I want to do? It's like you're a slave to that sin. And Paul's telling us, listen, in Christ, you're not a slave to sin anymore. Why? You were taken out. You're not in there anymore. You were taken out of Adam. You were put into Christ. What's true of Jesus is true of you. You're not a slave to sin anymore. And then he goes on. Verse 7. Because sin, when you were placed in Christ, sin in that moment lost its power over you. Look how he describes it. Verse 7. Because anyone who has died has been, here's the key, has been set free from sin. Anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, let me just ask you a practical question. If you physically die, are you going to have any problems with overeating anymore? No. If you physically die, are you going to have any issues any longer with those addictions that have, have had a grip over you? Or is it going to matter anymore? What's the answer? No, of course not. If you physically die, those things, like, they don't have a grip over you anymore. You're dead, right? You're not going to eat anymore. You're not going to uh, not be able to forgive anymore. You're not going to have something, have a, a, an addiction, have a grip on your life anymore. Why? Because you're physically dead. He tries to go on to be more clear of what he's talking about. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. It's a one-time deal, and it's done. It covers all of us for all human history. But the life he lives... He lives to God. Paul's bottom line is just simple. Those of us who have been taken out of Adam and placed into Christ, sin is no longer your master. 
Sin no longer controls you. Sin no longer has a grip on your life. Unless, of course, you choose to say yes to it. But sin is not your master when you gave your life to Jesus Christ. And then what Paul does is he says, once you understand this, let me start to work my way into the application of how this impacts our life. Verse 11. We're going to look at it briefly this week, and then we're going to expand on it a lot further next week. Romans 6, verse 11. He said, in the same way, just like Jesus died to sin once for all, and now that he lives to God, in that same way, verse 11, Paul says, count yourself what? Count yourself dead to sin. In the same way that Jesus died, count yourself dead to sin. Just as sin was not his master, sin is no longer our master. Count yourself dead to sin. He's talking to you and I, but what? Let's see what it says there, but what? But alive to Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to practice something with me right now. For sin, verse 14, shall no longer be your master. You have a new master. So I want you to practice something with me right now. Sin is no longer your master. You are dead to sin. You are alive to God, which means sin is no longer your master. You have a new master. So I want you to practice saying this with me. Sin is not my master. And we're going to say it with this cadence just so we all do the same thing. Sin is not my master. Let's say it again. Sin is not my master. One more time. Sin is not my master. Now I want you to whisper it, okay? Everybody together. Sin is not my master. One more time. Sin is not my master. And what I want you to do this week is I want you to whisper that to yourself a hundred times a day. For the whole week, I'm counting, okay? So I'll know how many times. I want you to whisper every day this week, sin is not my master. Sin is not my master. Now, let me give you a way to think about this. Let me illustrate here. It's not necessarily a perfect illustration, but I think it will help some of us, hopefully most of us, prayerfully all of us. What we're talking today about is, is a little bit like at a, you know, an international adoption of a child from an orphanage. Some of you uh, have adopted internationally. I talked to someone after first service who they've been adopted and, and it resonating with them. And it's an amazing thing because you have this baby, this toddler, this infant, this, this young child, and they're living in another country and they're living in an orphanage. And, and as they live there, there's several layers of authority in their life. There's the government, there's the state, there's the institution, there's the people who run the orphanage. And every single day, that child's life is completely dictated by the rules and by the laws of the government and the state and the institution and the orphanage and the people in the orphanage. And then, and then, with a stroke of a pen, or if you've done the adoption thing, you know it's a stroke of a lot of pens on a lot of paper, but just for simplicity's sake, with a stroke of a pen, with ink on a piece of paper, in a moment, a child goes from an orphan to a family member. From an orphan to a family member. That child goes from one name to another name. And there's so many ramifications for this, and it happens instantly. By the way, to kind of add a little bit more to this illustration, the older a child is, the more of a challenge it is for that child to grow accustomed to their new life, their new identity, their new home, right? 
The older they are, the longer it takes them to realize, oh my goodness, I'm not who I used to be. Everything's different now. But for the sake of our discussion, here's what's the most important part about this international adoption in an orphanage. With the stroke of a pen, the government, the state, the institution, the orphanage, the people who run that orphanage, with the stroke of a pen, they lose all authority. Stroke of a pen, they lose all authority over that child. What was true of that child is now no longer true. He or she is now no longer under the authority of the orphanage. They are now under the authority of another. They, now ha- they had an old family. They now have a new family. And they have all the rights and all the privileges of the new, pa- the new family. Are you tracking what I'm saying? Because this is what Paul's saying. He says, when you and I were taken out of Adam and we were placed into Christ, here, the life wasn't good. We were an orphan. We were on our own. This person I talked to at the first service, I cannot, the story was powerful. And this person talked about how back in, I think it was Thailand, and, and all these uh, children were coming in, these, these, these toddlers, these infants coming in from China, and they were coming in, and there were so many, and the government was working, and missionaries were coming in, and they were trying to get these children adopted, and, and if they weren't adopted in a certain period of time, she, she mentioned a few months, if they weren't adopted in a certain per- period of time, the children were placed in a box. True story, the person told me this morning, and then that was it. Because they had so many, they could only try. If they didn't get adopted, they were placed in a box, and you know what's next, death. And this person told me, their tears were coming down their eye. They were like, I was two days away from going to that box. But my parents saved me, rescued me. I was taken out of death and placed into life. And that's what happened to you and I in Jesus Christ. We were in Adam. We were dead. And now we're placed in a new, into a new life. And so we have a new life. We have a new name. We have a new identity. We have a new way of living. We have a new, way, a new home. We have a new, new, new. It flows to all of us in ways that in, on a simpler we can't comprehend. Sin is no longer your master. And Paul tells us when you were taken out of Adam, when you were placed into Christ with this new name, new identity, new family, new life, he said when it comes to your earthly experience, to this life, sin's lost its authority over you. It's not just about dying and going to heaven. Sin lost its power in your life. You are the old person, now it's a new person. Sin no longer has control over you, and you may have been saying yes to sin your whole life. Even as a Jesus follower, you find yourself in the awful battle of, I hate doing this. You look in the mirror and go, oh my goodness, I hate what I see from time to time. But you can know, in light of what Jesus did, from this point forward, for the rest of your life, whether you ever do anything about it, you just need to know sin no longer is your master. Sin is no longer your master. Sin no longer has a power over you. Like the orphan with a new family, everything's just different now for you if you are in Christ. Everything is different. With the stroke of a pen, which was Jesus' death on a cross and his resurrection, sin lost its authority. It lost its power over your life. You have a new life. Sin is not your master. Sin can call on you. Sin can prod you. Sin can tempt you. It can taunt you. 
But you need to know, and you need to be able to look at sin and say, I'm now in Christ. Can you imagine that? Like if, like if we took this theological concept and idea and said, well, well, this applies to our life. So let me give you a little homework this week as we wrap it up. So just, and I'm hoping everybody will do this. I want you to pray about, or just you already know it's bubbling to the surface, the Holy Spirit's already speaking to you. Think about, pray about an area of your life, an area of temptation, an area of sin, an area of struggle. And as you're in a wrestling match with that sin, with that struggle, with that temptation, in those moments when, when you're just thinking, I'm overwhelmed with despair, I'm overwhelmed with lo- loneliness, I'm overwhelmed with lust, I'm overwhelmed with jealousy or pride or ego or whatever it is, would you pause in that moment of struggle and whisper out loud, what did we whisper? What are you going to whisper? We're going to say what? Sin is not my master. Sin is not my master. As Paul went on to say, I'm dead to sin, but alive to God. Sin is not my master. I'm dead to sin, but alive to God. And when you're in that temptation and you're in that struggle, and here's where I bring it all together. You ready for this? In that moment, and you're whispering, and the temptation's there, sin is not my master. Sin is not my master then you can go ahead and sin if you want to. You can go ahead and sin if you choose to. But you need to understand you no longer have to. You can choose to, but you no longer have to. Because when you were in Adam, it was a power over you, and you didn't have a choice. You're now in Christ. Sin is no longer your master. You can sin, but you no longer have to. And if that can be the grid by which you view all of your life, your marriage, your kids, your habits, your disciplines, your body, your health, the way you think, your mind, your soul, if that can become what dominates your life, the grid, the filter by which you view your life, you can sin, but you don't have to because sin lost its power and grip over you. It will change everything for you. Your whole life will be different because you're not the person you used to be. You and I, you have been set free. Sin is no longer my master. I'm dead to sin, but alive to God. And next week, we're going to pick up on that, and then we're going to kind of break that down and shed more light on it so that we can say, sin's no longer my master, and I can sin, but I don't have to anymore. And we're going to help you with that. Now, as we get ready to close, there's some of you who might still be in the Adam jar. You need to understand But that thing that Paul called sin, it just has the grip over your life. Paul came to realize, man, my life, what a wretched person I am. And you know what God says? He says, I love you. I died on a cross for you. And I want you to come be a part of my family. That you're no longer an orphan. But you can have life. And if you're here this morning and you're ready to say, I'm tired of trying. I'm tired of trying to work this out. I need Jesus. I need Jesus to save me from the wretched man, the wretched woman that I am. I want to give you an opportunity right now to say yes to Jesus, to be baptized into him, into his death, that you could be set free from the power of sin. And yes, you'll get eternal life. Praise God for that. But you are going to live a new life here now. You want that? That's what Jesus is inviting you to. And I want to give you a chance to say, that's me. I'm ready for it. Let's pray.